Hello, everybody, and welcome to this bonus show. One of the bonuses. Bonus shows. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our bonus show. This bit of a different bonus show this week, Gus. We actually have a guest. Normally, it's you and I just talking garbage to each other, which we do pretty well. We must say, people like our bonus sides online, bonus shows online. And you know, we often talk to to people with disability on this podcast, but. Today we have a special guest who has a big impact on the lives of people living with disability in this country. I've done some work with this person. Um, we've done some cool stuff together that I've been excited about, and it's cool to get her on the podcast today. She's the Minister for the Department of Social Services, Amanda Rishworth. How are you doing? Great. Uh, yeah, no, doing very well. How are you guys? Good, thank you. All right, before we get into it, don't lie to us. Do you listen to Listen Able or not? I, I don't get to listen to anything regularly, I'll be honest. I have popped it on a couple of times uh, and I think people do enjoy your chit-chat uh, together. But look, um, um, it, yeah, look, I I'm fortunate I don't get to listen to anything on a regular basis. All right, well, my little chit-chat before we start then is, um, Amanda, you're honourable. Uh, Amanda Rishworth, how do you feel about a title of honourable? And like, I don't know you personally. How do you feel about like strangers feeling like they should say the honourable Amanda Rishworth? <laughs> like, you obviously deserve the title, but like, how does that feel? It feels very weird. What feels also weird is when people call me like Miss Rishworth. I, I feel like I'm. Where's my mum? Like I look around for my mum. So uh, yeah, I, I don't really use the honourable that much. Uh, I, I just particularly like to go uh, with Amanda. That's the easiest. Um, people say, "How should we introduce you?" Amanda's just fine. <laughs> All right, we're going to stick with Amanda then. Um, Amanda, you've been in Gov now in Australia for people who live overseas for, for about a year now uh, over this portfolio, which obviously has a, a big effect and a big impact on people with disability. How have you, how have you enjoyed it? How's the first year been and what's been some of the things you've been most proud of? Look, it's been a, a really exciting year. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Particularly, though, what I've enjoyed is I've often described, you know, being in opposition, I'll be honest, uh, you feel like that you've got all care, but, you know, in terms of actually making a difference, you're somewhat limited. So by getting into government and somewhat having the, the your hand on the pen, you're actually able to to make a difference and so um, it's been hasn't been without its challenges I'll be honest um, um, there's always challenges a lot of unexpected things that get thrown at you but when you're actually able to uh, see that you've actually made a step towards something you're passionate about and um, then that is really satisfying and I, th I think a lot of people have said have you enjoyed it and I said look enjoy is probably not the accurate word, the level of satisfaction is probably, you know, satisfaction is probably the word that, that most springs to mind. Now, we're recording this before you are about to jet off to um, New York with a delegate, a bunch of delegates with people with disability from this country for um, a bit of a conference. Uh, Gus, listen, Abel, wasn't asked to go broadcast there. Obviously, we must have been um, next in line, obviously. But can you tell... Well, I mean, Amanda hasn't been listening. Yeah, so. you, know, you know, it's not too late. Um uh, Amanda, tell us about what, what you're going to and what it's all about. Well, look, um, this is probably the most significant meeting um, of people with disability and governments from around the world. It is the United Nations Convention uh, on the Rights of People with Disability. And I think it's a really important reminder, I think, often we do talk about um, 
disability um, in, in a sense of not, not actually the lived experience. So this conference is an opportunity for governments to reaffirm their commitment about individual human rights of people with disability, to be held accountable, of course, um, as we know our country, as many others, have signed up to the convention, um, but also um, take a group of delegates of civil society that are able to give their perspectives. And one of the things I'm really um, pleased with the delegation going over is um, a lot of them are under the age of 21. Um, so it's it's young people that um, have not necessarily uh, been advocates for a long time, but this will um, enable them um, particularly to be able to put their uh, voices forward, as well as a variety of different um, I guess, disability types, um, uh, a significant number of people with intellectual disabilities. And so I think that will provide a really important opportunity for them to participate in what is one of the largest meetings and to really refocus the world uh, on the rights of people with disability. We do have some questions from our audience. Um, these are questions that people have sent us, knowing with about 48 hours notice, notice that you're going to be on the podcast. Are you up to answering some of their questions? It's not as happened in time. <laughs> no, that'll be good. You'll be fine. Rapid answer. Um, this is from uh, Toby on Facebook. Why did you decide to take on a portfolio around disability? Yeah, look, I got into politics. Um, I was a psychologist before I was in politics. And my whole aim in politics is to improve quality of life for people. Um, if you get an improved quality of life, um, then, you know, that that's, a, that's what politics for me is all about. And so whether it's disability, whether it's people from marginalised, disadvantaged backgrounds, it's where you can make the most difference. Governments can make a significant difference um, and you can really support people to improve their quality of life. So it's pretty much as simple as that. Um, and that's why I got into politics and that's what I want to be doing. Uh, Hannah asks on our Instagram, how do you ensure that lived experience is listened to when making government and policy decisions? Good one. Yeah, that is a really important question. Um, and I think it's it's um, there's, there's two parts to that. There's making sure that as minister and uh, I have a lot of conversations um, with people with disability, that's the informal way. Um, I have to have a good understanding of lived experience and, and um, but there's also all the formal mechanisms we need to have in place to make sure that lived experience is uh is input inputted and and we've just started for example our autism strategy um where we have uh on that uh group people from a diverse a uh, lot of backgrounds all with um lived experience or um a connection to lived experience we're not going to get it right if we don't connect with lived experience and so having a number of real formal mechanisms we've got an advisory group for the Australia's Disability Strategy to give uh, give uh, advice as well. But there has to be not just the formal groups, but the formal mechanism into government as well. So that design is really important in how we channel those advisory groups into actually making sure people are listening. I'm very conscious of setting up structures that do that. This is from Anonymous on our Insta. I have a disabled daughter and I worry about her employment opportunities when she grows up. I lose sleep over it. What are we doing as a country to ensure she can find work? Employers need to just 
think outside the box here. Um, and they don't have to think outside the box in the sense of expensive workplace modifications. We know 88% of people living with disability don't need any modifications at work. Um, 82% don't take any time off work um, because of their disability. We need an attitude change uh, from many businesses around the country. And, but it's also confidence. It's a confidence piece. And so I think um, um, ensuring that we're working with employers and we've put in a number of programs to work with employers but then it's also about confidence for people living with disability and really coming from uh, and I know this is a lot of work you've been doing Dylan allowing people with disability to come from a strength-based perspective and, and showcase their skills and abilities and to really get employers to understand uh, the good, the really good stuff on offer. So that's part of it and there's been a number of programs we've been funding the other thing is um, we need some changes in our disability employment services. Um, we spend as a government a lot on disability employment services. Um, and uh, believe it or not, the participants' experience is not part of the formal ratings for disability employment services. When I found that out, I was just like, what? Um, so we are hopefully on the 1st of July starting to embed as a short-term um, import participants experience as part of the formal rating process. But over time, we need a lot more reform in disability employment services um, to make sure that they really are connecting people with disability um, with the with the work. So I, I think it's I think there's some passion there, and I think there's some bright future. So my message would be um, that when your daughter is ready for a job, I hope we will have shifted the dial significantly there and her expertise and skills will be welcomed. Last question. This is right This is right in your wheelhouse as well. Now, I'm on a disability. This comes from, sorry, Peter on Facebook. I'm on a disability support pension and I can't work full-time due to my disability. However, I want to find some part-time work, yet I'm worried it'll affect my pension, leaving me at risk if my work falls through. Will there be a time when I can work without it affecting the rate of my pension? Yeah, look, um, the disability pension is, of course, means-tested. So um, if you do work, depending on your income, it does get cut. A lot of people don't know there is an income-free threshold. So you can work a certain amount um, and still get your full disability pension. And then as time goes by, if you're working more, it, it does what's called taper off. So there is an ability to try work, um, but uh, not it affect your, your pension or reduce your pension. A lot of people do talk to me. Not, it's not about the, the amount of pension. It's about getting falling off the pension and then if work doesn't work out, having to go apply back on the pension. And so um, it, it, it's not as well known that you can get zero pension for two years and still not have to reapply. So you could be working um, uh, 29 hours a week um, at, a, at a higher salary and um, still have that pension sitting there if that work doesn't work out. Now, people have given me feedback that they're worried about, is that time frame long enough? Is the income support uh, free area enough? And that's certainly something that we have um, asked the uh, 
white paper into workforce participation to look at. And so we are very keen to look at. But one of those things is if you do keep your pension but don't get necessarily any pension but still eligible, you'll still get your concession card for two years as well. So a lot of people don't know that that's available, but it is. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, in the future, we are hoping to have uh, Mr. Albanese, our Prime Minister, and of course, um, Bill Shorten as well. So uh, we do want to speak to uh, our representatives um, who are representing the people who listen. So thank you for coming on. And good luck in New York. Thank you. Thanks, Minister. It's a bonus ode. Bonus. So I can keep going as well. Please don't. <laughs> 